this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. The surface of the moon is lit by the face of the earth. Our little town is lit, too, by lights just above that we cannot explain. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Will Williams. And you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And today I am joined by Will Williams, podcasting journalist and CEO of Podcasting Production Collective, Hug House Productions. Phenomenal name. Thank you. I'm so excited that you're here to join us, not least because you wrote what might have been the best email we have ever received to the ICYMI inbox. So welcome <laughs> to the show, Will. You're a legend here. Thank you. Uh, I am honored. I put my whole heart and soul into that email, and I'm glad it came across. So as a listener of the show... I'm sure you can probably guess my first question is going to be, we are retiring the Jesus Christ question, unfortunately. So I will (laughs) be asking, what is your first internet memory? A lot comes to mind, but I think that the earliest is the original, original hamster dance. I'm talking the song on loop. And an endless scroll of dancing hamster gifts. I was enraptured. I was in love. (laughs) (laughs) that is a great one and I think really it just encapsulates the best internet memories which is just the endless loop in your head oh yeah oh yeah in your pitch letter you mentioned that you were an active tumblr user which obviously same obviously part of the kindredness and I have found through so much you know deep scientific research that most tumblr users have just one specific bit of unhinged discourse that lives in their brain rent free so I have to know what is yours what is the tumblr discourse that you were haunted by as we will uh, come to discuss in this episode, I love absurdism that is treated with just like meticulous attention to detail. So it has to be Constable Frozen. <laughs> okay, please explain Constable Frozen for our less Tumblr addled audience. <laughs> so Constable Frozen is a Tumblr account, to my knowledge, still active, that would take screenshots from specifically Frozen, sometimes Tangled, sometimes other Disney of that era, and edit them just with so much detail and care and love in Photoshop, I believe, for the characters to be doing something strange. Um, (laughs) I think most famously eating ice cream out of Olaf's mouth. He's like, he's like floating and there's like animation of him like ejecting soft serve from his (laughs) mouth to their mouth. And they're, they're loving it. Everyone is loving it. And I just, I love um, something that is like so deeply unsettling. And it's not like 
actively hurting anybody, but also like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's hurting me in that my soul has perhaps, you know, it's been a little dirtied by what's going on here, but there are no crimes and we love that. <laughs> yeah, it, it changes yeah. you in a way that you didn't know you didn't want and now you can never unknow it. Yes. No, that is, wow, just describes so many things I've come across on Tumblr. And it's a perfect segue into today's episode, which is about Tumblr. Yes, we're talking about my favorite topic because it's my show. Um, (laughs) A few weeks ago, as I said before, we at ICYMI received an incredible email from Will that included the words Cecil Sweep the official poll for the definitive Tumblr Sexy Man, which has been won by podcasting's own weird desert radio host, Cecil Palmer. None of those words are in the Bible, but all of them intrigue me. (laughs) The Cecil that Will mentioned refers to the host of the mega popular fiction podcast, Welcome to Night Vale. And here's where I admit that while I'm very familiar with the podcast, and the fandom as someone who spent a lot of time on Tumblr in 2013, I never really got into it. I actually never really got into podcasts until I was in college, which is why I am so glad that you wrote into us, Will, and why I'm so glad that you're here to explain not just hashtag Cecil Sweet, but the legacy of Welcome to Night Vale. As always, I'm so excited to hear about something that I know little to nothing about. And this is Night Vale is one of those things. All of that after a short break. This podcast is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Let's face it, sometimes multitasking can be overwhelming. Like when your favorite podcast is playing and the person next to you is talking and your car fan is blasting all while you're trying to find the perfect parking spot. But then again, sometimes multitasking is easy, like quoting with Progressive Insurance. They do the hard work of comparing rates so you can find a great rate that works for you, even if it's not with them. Give their nifty comparison tool a try and you might just find getting the rate and coverage you deserve is easy. All you need to do is visit Progressive's website to get a quote with all the coverages you want, like comprehensive and collision coverage or personal injury protection. Then you'll see Progressive's direct rate and their tool provide options from other companies, all lined up and ready to compare, so it's simple to choose the rate and coverages you like. Press play on comparing auto rates. Quote at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, 
for the ones who get it done. And I'm back with Will Williams, who's going to explain to me. Welcome to Night Vale, a huge undertaking from what I understand of Welcome to Night Vale. So <laughs> to get us started, what exactly is Welcome to Night Vale? How would you describe it to someone who has literally never heard of it? Welcome to Night Vale is a, I would say, semi-serialized fiction podcast, meaning it has an ongoing story from start to finish. It's still ongoing. There is chronology. There are storylines and story arcs. But you can also kind of jump in at any episode and more or less get the general idea of what's going on. Mm. Part of that is because it follows a little bit of a sitcom structure where something will be introduced in the beginning of the episode, be resolved by the end. Part of it is also because it is incredibly absurd. It is one part old-time radio show, one part Twilight Zone, and one part, uh, we'll say, like, Shit's Creek. One death has already been attributed to the glow cloud. But listen, it's probably nothing. If we had to shut down the town for every mysterious event that at least one death could be attributed to, we'd never have time to do anything, right? That's what the sheriff's secret police are saying, and I agree. Although, I would not go so far as to endorse their suggestion to run directly at the cloud, shrieking and waving your arms, just to see what it does. There is... This sense of this desert town, which is where the show takes place, that everything is confusing and strange and absurd, and if you were a normal person in our normal world, horrific. But (laughs) all of the citizens of this town are pretty chipper. It's a great little town. And the way that the show is structured is we follow Cecil Palmer, who is giving his actual in-universe radio show reports to the town of Nightvale. He is a biased journalist. (laughs) Uh, He injects himself into every single thing he talks about while doing it in this very, like, hello, this is NPR. You're listening to the thing uh, Mm -hmm. sort of diction, which the combination of the two is uh, very fun, delightful. It is very matter-of-fact, but also very uh, jaunty in a way that I think immediately captures an audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense and yet doesn't at all in the phenomenal <laughs> way that I think Welcome to Night Vale really captures. So exactly. I guess how would you kind of describe if there is a typical episode, what a typical episode sounds like? So a typical episode will start with uh, Cecil discussing what's going on in the day's news. So is the glow cloud running for the board of the PTA. Have the librarians killed anybody today? Are the angels buying records? Um, We, you know, we never know. We never know what we're going to get ourselves into. Occasionally, there will be something like the daily horoscopes, where he will say, uh, Sagittarius, your horoscope is, you want a new car. Uh, (laughs) Or we will get uh, an advertisement. There is a segment for the weather. And I actually think this is part of uh, what makes Night Vale, again, really hook into audiences. 
the weather, instead of it being a weather report, is always a cool, offbeat, kind of strange indie song. We've had everything from uh, Dessa and Doomtree to Aeneas Mitchell. We've had some very strange ones in the mix. The most iconic of all, if you say to someone that you are waiting for the bus in the rain um, and they have listened to any Night Vale, their, their brain will explode uh, with just this <laughs> song about waiting for the bus in the rain. It's so hooky. It's so catchy. It's incredible. At the end, we will usually have uh, some escalation of the story that started in the beginning, some resolution, and then it always ends with Cecil saying, good night, Night Vale. Good night. Mm-hmm. So when did Night Vale start? And you mentioned it's still ongoing. So how many how, how many hours of Night Vale are we talking exist? Just a rough estimate. <laughs> Uh, Your eyes widened. I was like, I don't want. Please don't do any math. Oh, I'm not. No, I I can't. I can't do that. Um, Okay. So, Night Vale is about 30 minutes long an episode, bi-weekly. So every other week, and it's been going for 11 years now. It started back in 2012, which was uh, two years before Serial came out. This was early podcasting. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. (laughs) So Cecil is the host of the show, but I I was on the fringes of the Welcome to Night Vale fandom. It was really adjacent to the fandoms I was in, like Supernatural, Doctor Who. So it felt like, you know, the way I think about like Merlin or BBC Sherlock, which are shows I have not watched, but which I could recall specific gifts of if prompted. So if there's one thing I know about Welcome to Night Vale, there's Cecil and then there's Carlos. So tell me about Carlos. Carlos is a character who was introduced right in the first episode. He is one of the handful of scientists who has come to Night Vale to study its very strange scientific (laughs) anomalies, like uh, all of the clocks being fake or mountains not being real. And Cecil is, from episode one, head over heels in love with Carlos. That new scientist we now know is named Carlos, called a town meeting. He has a square jaw and teeth like a military cemetery. His hair is perfect. And we all hate and despair and love that perfect hair in equal measure. Old woman Josie brought corn muffins, which were decent, but lacked salt. She said the angels had taken her salt for a godly mission, and she hadn't yet gotten around to buying more. Carlos told us that we are, by far, the most scientifically interesting community in the U.S., and he had come to study just what is going on around here. He grinned, and everything about him was perfect. And I fell in love instantly. Oh, I'm in love. I want to know more immediately about this couple. Are they together now? Are they happy? I need to know. (laughs) Do you want some some spoilers? Of course I do. Tell me the lore. (laughs) In episode 100, they get married. Oh my god! It's lovely. It's told as like 
video being taken of all of the guests at the wedding who are all residents of Night Vale. It's very sweet. Oh my gosh. That sounds, uh, uh, I mean, I can imagine why, but how did you first start listening to Night Vale? Like what introduced it into your life? When I got to college, I started working at the college radio station, got into audio production, and it was around this time I was diving really deep into podcasts. I had not really gotten into any fiction podcasts specifically because there there was this idea, sort of the same way that people talk about fan fiction, that it was lesser than or kind of honestly cringe, which looking back uh, was not the case at the time, has never been the case and will never be the case. Yeah. Um, I started listening to Welcome to Night Vale because it was the one fiction podcast that was getting media attention. And I heard that the main character was gay. And I was like, all right. Uh, I started checking it out. And now uh, my job is to report on largely fiction podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so Welcome to Night Vale changed your life. Oh, big time. Big time. It changed the life of, I think, pretty much everybody who has ever had an interest in fiction podcasting. One of the things that I really love about the last, like, two or three years is getting to hear the new fiction podcasts being made by people who were literally raised on Welcome to Night Vale mm. and hearing that legacy continue because it's, again, it's 12 years old now. These people went from being 12 to 24. They're adults. They're making their own shows. And it's just beautiful. It is. It is. I feel that way when I read... Um books by people who say they got their roots in fan fiction because yes. I'm like, oh, you you understand me. You know exactly what I want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love seeing these lineages and I love seeing, you know, that like fiction podcasting now still is not discussed as much as like a narrative nonfiction, but it's getting a lot more love. You know, we're seeing adaptations of Archive 81, which was an indie podcast by, you know, two people just wanting to work in audio, getting it made into a Netflix adaptation. We're seeing things like Limetown and uh, Homecoming being made into adaptations. It's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. So with Night Vale... Up until like a year after its release, it was a well-reviewed but pretty niche show. But pretty much overnight in the summer of 2013, it exploded, like going from being downloaded a couple thousand times in a year to being downloaded nearly 10 million times in a single summer, which is a level of growth that any podcast would literally maybe give multiple limbs for. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) what do you think caused that explosion? To explain this, I want to kind of set the scene for where queer representation was in 2012. Mm. So according to uh, the GLAAD Where We Are in TV report, which is their annual report looking at representation, largely again in TV, that's the best parallel that we have for something like podcasting because we don't have any data. The percentage of characters on TV who were queer on broadcast television was 4.4%. They were Mm. only secondary characters, and it was so rare in cable television that the 2012 report doesn't give a percentage. It just talks about every instance of a queer character. Like, there there were so few. Oh, my God. They could afford that space. By comparison, um, we are currently um, doing... (laughs) better-ish but better better we're at like 33 percent, which is is impressive 
That's impressive. Mm, yeah. um, it's not like the 98% I would love, but, you know, we're getting there. <laughs> and there was this idea, especially in things that were family-friendly, which Night Vale is not for kids necessarily. That's not the, te- the target demographic, but it can totally be listened to by kids. There's nothing um, inappropriate. There was this idea that queer characters could exist but they were mostly against side characters and we weren't going to see a queer romance. And if we were, somebody was going to die. It was going to be tragic. There was something horrible that was going to happen. One year into Welcome to Night Vale, there is an episode called One Year Later. It serves as a great benchmark for the early arc of the series. In this episode, uh, Cecil gets a text from Carlos saying, come meet me in the Arby's parking lot. He goes to the Arby's parking lot and says, you know, what was so urgent? What did you need to see me about? And Carlos says, after everything that happened today, I just wanted to see you. And in those last few moments of that episode, the last literally two minutes of the episode, we had confirmation that Cecil and Carlos were a couple. They are in love. They started dating. They've been together ever since. Again, they're married now. And getting to hear queer love depicted in a way that was simple and kind and intimate and tender, there was something just very pure, not in a way that is like the sort of like commodified wholesomeness we see in a lot of queer representation right now. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was earnest. That's what it was. Commodified wholesomeness is such a great phrase. And the way that you talk about earnestness really, as most things do, remind me of Tumblr, a platform that you told me you joined specifically to get involved with the Welcome to Night Vale fandom. We will be talking about Will's entry into Tumblr, into the Night Vale fandom, and into what exactly hashtag Cecil Sweep is after a short break. Is much better than a train than a train take full pictures while I'm waiting at the bus stop bus not here while the bus so late I'm waiting for the bus in the rain wishing I- I'm Hillary Busis. I'm Chris Murphy. And I'm Richard Lawson. We're from Vanity Fair, still watching podcast. Cue up the orchestral Taylor Swift songs. Next up, we're watching Netflix's Bridgerton. Good night, Mr. Bridgerton. Do you not need a chaperone? Spinsters, do you not need chaperones? It's time to dip our toes into the Shondaland romantic period piece. And the stars of Bridgerton will be stopping by to spill the Regency era tea. New episodes of Still Watching drop Thursdays wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, Slate listeners. I'm Christina Cotarucci, the host of Slow Burn, Gaze Against Briggs. I want to tell you about a special event we're doing at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York City on June 13th. To celebrate this new season of Slow Burn and Pride Month, we're hosting an exclusive live taping of the show with special guests, including civil rights activist and Black Lives Matter organizer DeRay McKesson, comedian and singer Esther Fallick, Eric Marcus, the host of Making Gay History, and Sam Fader, director of the Netflix documentary Disclosure, about the depiction of trans people in film and television. We'll dive deeper into this season and talk about the lasting impact of the Briggs Initiative and the continued fight over LGBTQ rights in schools. It'll be the perfect way to celebrate Pride Month this June with LGBTQ stories and voices across generations. 
Again, that's June 13th at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash slowburn. Hope to see you there. Hi, y'all. If you love our podcast, then please consider subscribing to Slate Plus. When you subscribe to Slate Plus, you get no ads on any Slate podcast, including this one. You'll also be supporting the show. ICYMI would not be possible without the support of Slate Plus subscribers. You will also get bonus segments or episodes on shows like Slow Burn, Amicus, Mom and Dad are Fighting, and the newly returned Dear Prudence. You will also get unlimited reading on the Slate website, which means you get access to every single article and advice column on Slate without ever hitting the paywall. Just visit slate.com slash ICYMI plus to sign up. That is slate.com slash ICYMI plus. And we're back. As I said before the break, you mentioned in your email that you joined Tumblr specifically because you wanted to see what was going on with the Welcome to Night Vale fandom. So tell me about that like moment that you joined Tumblr to see what was going on with the fandom and then why you think Tumblr was a great platform for the fandom. I think that part of why I wanted to join is, again, because of this weird way we have talking about fiction podcasts this very like oh it's the redheaded stepchild of of podcasting but on tumblr there really is just such a rejection of what is seen as good or worth celebrating or worth diving into um i also think part of the reason nightville did really well there is one I think all of us on Tumblr are, like, pretty queer, even if we didn't know about them. Like, it's it's a pretty gay space. Uh, and two, because it's audio and because uh, th- the actors behind the mic weren't really part of the marketing at all, you can envision the characters as anything, which I think made Cecil pretty prime Tumblr sexy man material. Mm-hmm. No, that does make a lot of sense. If there's anything Tumblr loves, it's like the space between canon and uh, fandom that you can just create in. Like the bigger that space is, the better you'll do on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. So tell me a bit about like the Night Vale extended cinematic universe as it exists today and what you've observed both in like the IRL and online spaces where the Night Vale fandom congregates. Is there a fandom name? There's not. I was wondering about this when I was writing this prep where I was like, I don't want to just make one up, but there has to be one. But there isn't? Citizens of Night Vale is used pretty often. Um, we do have ship name. We have Cecilos for Cecil and Carlos. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fandom itself, not really. What I love about Night Vale, though, is the sort of like extended universe happens both in Night Vale itself and in uh, sort of the greater podcast scene. So Night Vale has attached to it novels. Um, some of which are transcripts of the episodes, just straight up. Some of them are their own stories, largely that don't focus on Cecil. They take the lens of other characters. There is one novel especially uh, that is focused on the old woman who lives in your home. Um, I'm sorry, the faceless old woman who lives in your home. Oh, of course, we can't get that. Can't, can't make that any more unsettling. <laughs> right, of course, of course. Um, she's played by bisexual icon Mara Wilson. Um, 
And the book is about her travels that led her to Night Vale, and it is stunningly beautiful. It reminds me a lot of Madeline Miller's Circe. Uh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Night Vale is great at making you very present in the moment and making you very conscious of how you are consuming the art that it is creating for you. It mm. makes you very introspective about what that art means and what the story is saying and how you interact with it, which I think is also kind of part of why the fandom is like chill. We've got like more important things to think about. <laughs> like we're considering what it means to engage with art. I cannot be engaging in any of your silly discourse. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which is like exactly as pretentious as I think a podcast fandom should be. <laughs> no, honestly, yes. I hope I see why my listeners are that pretentious. <laughs> well, I love the show and I am. So <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> You wrote in your email to us that what's most important to me about this story is its place in queer history and the way a solidified fiction podcast is a very deliberately queer medium. Could you say a bit more about what you mean? Yeah. So going back to what I said about the relatively lower barrier to entry when it comes to creating fiction, and that is nice on its own, but what it allows is creators who don't get opportunity to make public art that people can consume, it makes it way more accessible. So we have a lot more queer creators making these big, expansive sci-fi and fantasy stories. We have people who would have to have their shows be whitewashed or made completely straight or watered down say, no, I'm going to make this in a way that actually represents me and actually feels like me. The thing about Welcome to Nightville is that it came out at a time where being queer felt like something that you had to beg for permission for, both in art and also in life. And we've made great strides since 2012. We are at the point now in podcasting where it is way way weirder to find a fiction podcast where there's no queer characters than finding a fiction podcast where literally the entire cast and crew are queer. And often within that, they're largely people of color and they're largely people who are disabled. We're talking about people who fall on several different axes and intersections of marginalization that make up the entire cast and crew of a serialized, high-genre, ongoing fiction project which is part of why I think fiction podcasting is just this beautiful, beautiful, uh, underappreciated medium. And I think that without Night Vale making its main character queer and again, a very like normal, simple, matter-of-fact way, we wouldn't have that. It showed us that we didn't have to ask permission anymore. We could just do it. It reminds me a lot of fan fiction, like you were saying, where it's a lot weirder to encounter fan fiction that has no queer characters than to encounter a fan fiction where all the characters are queer. Like, even if your main pairing is somehow heterosexual, there's definitely going to be, like, a queer couple somewhere in there. Yeah, I mean, uh, most most fan fiction and most fandoms I know revolve around, like, a gay male pair, largely. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we're seeing a little bit more like sapphic love out there, which I think rules a little bit more like imagining this character as trans, which I think rules. Uh, yeah, I I think that all of these forms of art where 
there's a lower barrier of entry and we don't see ourselves is going to attract people to tell the stories that they deserve, honestly. Mm. Okay, so the whole reason we're here. (laughs) We've had a phenomenal conversation, but we do have to get to the... The more newsy thing, which is hashtag Cecil Sweet. So can you please take me through how this character, who we have said before does not have a canon character description, came to be crowned Tumblr's top sexy man? Obviously, sexy man is capitalized. It has to be. Of course. So I think back uh, a few years ago, there was a Twitter user who did a Twitter poll that was a big tournament bracket of who was going to be the number one Tumblr sexy man. For those who don't know, a Tumblr sexy man is um, kind of what it sounds like. Uh, It's a character (laughs) that like all of Tumblr seems to be thirsting over for like strange reasons. Strange. Mm -hmm. The strangeness is a key part. Uh, The Babadook. The Babadook. (laughs) Gay icon. (laughs) So when Tumblr got polls earlier this year, the same Twitter user came to Tumblr and remade these brackets on Tumblr. So we had all these Tumblr sexy men on this big tournament bracket. There were polls on the actual site. It was uh, meticulously made. Very impressive. And after a hard-fought battle, the Welcome to Night Vale fans re-emerged <laughs> from Weird Desert Town to say our boy is going to win. He was born here. He's been ours for 10 years. He is on Tumblr himself. We all know. We all know Cecil has a Tumblr account. He is going to win. And win he did. And when this happened, it wasn't just the poll that I saw coming back up. The poll sparked something in people. A lot of the original fans of Night Vale, I think, have like fallen off throughout the years. And I think a lot of people were reconnecting with what made Night Vale so special to them. And uh, I was swept up in it too. I, I listened to the first episode and a year later for prep for this episode and it it stands up. It's gorgeous. Uh I love that. I feel like I tend to be pretty hard on nostalgia-fueled trends because I think a lot of them are kind of lazy. (laughs) Not gonna lie, right? right. Um, Or regressive in a way. It's a desire for a past that never existed. But fandom nostalgia is something entirely different, or it can't be. It has the ability to be, and this feels like the best parts of that. In that, it's this. It's coming back to something that shaped you as a person, as a consumer of culture, as a fan, and revisiting it like a little older, a little wiser, a little more tired, but realizing like how much it meant to you and then being surrounded by people who get those in-jokes, who get those songs, who get those tags, who like remember being on the dashboard at 2014 at 2 a.m. like blogging about this. Like it really encapsulates the best of Tumblr to me. Absolutely. We talk on Tumblr often about like, oh, you can really see the aging demographic on Tumblr. We're all talking about ibuprofen over here. Uh, and I think that that actually really works to Welcome to Night Vale's benefit here. Um, it was written by like two guys in their like, I don't know, late 30s, maybe early 40s. Uh And there is a sense of maturity around it. It's goofy and it's silly. And it resonates with you when you're young. 
you know, you've got that goofy, you've got that silly, you've got that shipping, it's lovely, it's fun. You come back a, a bit older, a bit wiser, a bit more tired. Personally, I came back uh, after being in a long and beautiful relationship and having a very different perspective on love. And hearing it again, it grows with you. You see the different sides to it. You see the maturity to it. And you see the the philosophy guiding a lot of the writing. And again, it holds up. It means different things to you at different ages, which is what I think a great work of art should do. And I also think that a lot of nostalgia, like, man, I'll go back and watch The Last Unicorn again, and I love it, but it is not a good film. Um, <laughs> it's very strange. The writing is unusual, and all of the songs explicitly reflect what is going on on the screen, like word for word. It's very distracting. <laughs> it's very weird. Night Vale uh, doesn't really have that problem. It aged It aged great. Uh, the nostalgia holds up. There's no sort of like, oh, I loved this when I was young, and I, I get yeah. it, and I feel the feeling, but like, oof, none of that there. <laughs> yeah, it really is a confirmation of your previous great taste. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my last question is, what do you think that hashtag Cecil Sweep and the like resurgence of the Night Vale fandom says in a larger way about the power of fandom and what it does for us? To me, fandom is always about finding community through these characters, but there's always something else there. You know, why Why do we love these characters? What are these characters saying? What is this work of art saying? And I think the same could be said about absurdism. We, we look at it and we see the strangeness and what's so funny, but there's also underlying philosophy to the absurdism. I think that absurdism is something that is greatly appreciated by people who are othered. We see a lot of uh, queer people engaging in making absurdist art. We see a lot of people who are mentally ill. I think about like the resurgence of the love for Franz Kafka going on on Tumblr right now. I think that absurdism speaks to us, and I think that it speaks to us even more so in a more fragile part of our timeline. Mm -hmm. Um, The absurdism Mm -hmm. rang true in 2012 rings even truer now. Uh, The world is a strange and scary place. But when it comes to fandom, and this fandom in specific, it's also about finding why we create in a world that is othering us, that is fragile and precarious and strange and scary. We are reinvigorated in our life because of the power that art has. Welcome to Nightville exemplifies that because you have these people in this strange desert town who are still finding reasons to enjoy every moment of it, to build community, to uh, look at the night sky, which is mostly void, and see that it's also partially stars, which is one of those lines from Welcome to Nightville that I think just sticks in all of us, mostly void, partially stars. I I love seeing this power that this fandom has. I love seeing people come back to it and realize why they loved it. And I love seeing that bring people together who have probably gone off to like way different things in these 10 to 12 years, including different fandoms, and all be brought back to what makes this special and what brought us all back together in the first place. Yeah. Uh, That's beautiful. 
This has been one of my favorite conversations. I feel like affirmed. I don't even like I truly have listened to maybe one episode of the show, but like the way that you're talking about it really does exemplify like the power of fandom to me and the power of the internet in that yes. like I spend so much time talking about shit that sucks. But like <laughs> this is the shit that makes me realize like why I do this job. So thank you. Thank you, Rachel. This was an honor and a great joy. All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss a look back at a fandom. Please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. Tell your residents of Night Vale about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions. And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. Who knows, you might be on the show, just like Will. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton, with special thanks to Sierra Spragley-Rex. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online. Or in Nightvale. <laughs>